From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Fifteen seconds. Guidance is internal. Ten, nine, ignition sequence start. Space nuts. Five, four, three, two. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello again and thank you for joining us on Space Nuts, the astronomy podcast with Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. And my name's Andrew Dunkley and I just push a few buttons. Fred does all the work. Hello, Fred. <laughs> Good day, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Good uh, to you have you realize, along. Yeah, you, you know, you think you're doing all the work, but all I'm doing is, um, is, is just making it up as I go along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's, uh, that's how astronomy, science, paleontology, all of those have been doing it for years. Yeah, we've done a great job, and uh, we know so much more because of that. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> what's really sad is there are people in the world that really think that. <laughs> yes, I know. I know that's true. I, I, I did hesitate before I said that, but n- never mind. <laughs> mm, that's all right. Um, our uh, our audience are genuine believers. So Indeed, they are. It's good to have them along. And uh, today we're going to be tackling some of the questions that they have uh, sent to us. We got a great question recently. On because we've talked about the dinosaur crater uh, in the Gulf of Mexico uh, many times and how they've been drilling it to, to try and learn all about what happened there. Uh, and uh, the question has come up as to well, how did we know that that's actually where the ast- asteroid hit? What was the what was the giveaway? All right, well, Fred's been doing some research and found the answer to that question, so we'll uh, be tossing that your way. Uh, another, um, well, it wasn't so much a question; it was just uh, somebody sent me a link and a photo and said this might interest you guys: the Strato Launch spacecraft and launch system, which is just like it's being described as the spruce goose of space. We'll look into that. But we're going to start off, Fred, with something that you couldn't talk about last week because it was embargoed. So that made me think, well, this must be really exciting. And uh, it is. It's the methyl isocyanate discovery. Wow. Wow, Fred. That's big. Pretty good. It is big. <laughs> I'm sure it's it is. bigger than you think. Just, just on the surface, it goes straight over my head. But I'm sure it's. Uh, I'm sure there's a high impact um element to this you you mean you don't get excited by organic chemistry <laughs> Funny <laughs> I have that. to say when I was at school neither did I uh, chemistry was something that I um, I actually didn't carry to higher studies I was all physics and maths and stuff but chemistry I've kind of caught up with on the way um, this discovery it is uh, I think a remarkable one although it's uh, got parallels with things that have been found already so the story is that the European Space, sorry, let's uh, correct that, the European Southern Observatory, ESO, not ESA, which is the European Space Agency, European Southern Observatory, uh, operates a telescope in the high Atacama Desert. I visited it. Uh, It's uh, over 5,000 metres. You can barely breathe up there, let alone think about astronomy. Mm. But this is an array. It's called ALMA, which stands for the Atacama Large Millimetre Array. And what it does, um, it's an array of telescopes that look in the 
in the sub-millimeter region of the spectrum. That's uh, kind of, you know, short wavelength radio waves. Uh, and that's where the telltale signatures of molecules in space appear. So uh, the telltale signatures of atoms come in the visible region of the spectrum, which is what I do with uh, with optical telescopes. Uh, but uh, when, you, when you're looking for molecules, uh, complex collections of atoms, uh, you find their signatures in the radio region of the spectrum. And so ALMA is very good at finding molecules, not uh, in the atmospheres of stars so much, but in the gas clouds and dust clouds from which uh, stars are formed. So they've been looking at a very well-known star-forming region. It's called the Rho of Fuyuki Dark Cloud, and it's well-known to optical astronomers as well, because um, we at the UK Schmidt Telescope produced a, a colour picture of it with David Merlin's um, uh, a magic touch, oh, probably three decades ago. Mm. Uh, and for some reason, that picture was so colourful that it was nicknamed the cosmic vomit picture because <laughs> it kind of obviously reminded people of things like that. This is, uh, this is um, you know, in the nitty-gritty of the world of astronomy. But cosmic vomit is um, the, the Ruafuki dark cloud. It's worth looking up on the, on the internet because you'll be sure to find it. Don't look up cosmic vomit because you won't find that. Uh, but this cloud is a, a region where we know stars are being born. And uh, what has happened is that a group of what will eventually be sun-like stars, these are baby stars in this dark cloud, have been probed by the ALMA telescope. And they have revealed that in the what you might call the protoplanetary disks around these stars, the disks of material which eventually in a few uh, tens or hundreds of millions of years will form planets, um, they have found this molecule, this methyl isocyanate, which uh, means that there are, there are, it's not just one molecule. They've found, you know, clouds of this stuff yeah. around, around these baby stars. Uh, actually, methyl isocyanate is lethal. It's highly toxic uh, when you encounter it on Earth. But the reason why it's exciting is that it plays a role in the synthesis of peptides and amino acids, which eventually became basically the biological basis uh, or become the biological basis for life. So it, it's what you might call a prebiotic molecule. It's a, one of these molecules that um, provides a breeding ground for living organisms uh, if living organisms uh, form as readily as we think they do. Mm. Uh, as I said, it's not the first time this stuff's been found. It, it, it was also found uh, around uh, uh, in some other gas clouds. Uh, the key thing about this one is that these are sun-like stars that are that are associated with, uh, with this uh, molecule. But also it was found in the ice of comet Churyumov-Gerasimenko, which that's a right. few years yes. ago... Yes, that's you right. Know, was uh, was visited by a little spacecraft called Philae, which uh, before its batteries ran out, dug out um, ice samples and they identified this molecule. So we know that that molecule was also present in the gas cloud that formed the solar system because mm. that's what these uh, icy comets are remnants of. And so, uh, you know, the fact that it's been identified in a in a solar system in the process of forming, maybe suggests that in a few uh, billion years or so, if any of us can wait around long enough, we might see life evolving as we did here on our own planet. Of course, the question uh, becomes, all right, if we've seen the early signs of the platform for the creation of life here, maybe somewhere else it's much further along and there is, in fact, life. And, and I've heard a lot of chatter this week uh, online 
from uh, organisations suggesting that uh, next week NASA is going to make a major announcement and they're all saying, oh, they've found life. So well, <laughs> who knows what they're going to announce. But um, they, found, they found life at NASA. Well, that's good. That's good news. <laughs> no, yeah, but, but you're right. Um, look, the, uh, you know, uh, in fact, um, I was only saying to a, to a group of school principals I was talking to yesterday, you should kind of be aware that maybe within the next few years we will have an announcement like this, that mm. there will be um, what could be considered an unequivocal discovery of evidence, probably a fossilised life, uh, maybe on Mars. Um, uh, it, that's the most likely place to find fossilised life since it's the only place we've got rovers on on the surface. But I think there's an announcement in the offing. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I hope you and I will cover it, Andrew. I hope so too. Very exciting. But this uh, announcement obviously uh, just adds more evidence to the probability that there's life out there somewhere. And, um, yeah, as you say, hopefully we'll we'll find evidence of it past or present very very soon you're listening to space nuts with andrew dunkley and of course fred watson space nuts okay fred now uh, to some listener feedback and we've had a question uh on the subject of the dinosaur crater which you're going to give the official name of in a second because i can't remember how to say it but uh they've been doing a lot of core sample drilling uh, of the dinosaur crater in the Gulf of Mexico where this thing hit and ultimately led to um, the, the des- destruction of much of life on Earth uh, instantly and then uh, progressively uh, uh, over wider parts of the planet. Um, question has come up as to how we know that's where that asteroid hit. What was the giveaway? How did they find it uh, really comes uh, is the nuts and bolts of the question, Fred. And, it, and it's a lovely piece of detective work, really. Uh, I, um, I have a slight involvement with this because I, in the late 1970s, was working with scientists in Edinburgh uh, who postulated the idea of impacts uh, hitting the Earth. In fact, the, 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 um, the, the, the stars of the show eventually became uh, two American scientists, uh, Lewis and uh, I've forgotten his son's name, <laughs> uh, Alvarez. It was uh, Lewis Alvarez and his son, uh, which I will uh, get to. His son was called Walter. He's, in fact, he still is. Lewis is now uh, no longer with us, but Walter Alvarez is. He's a geologist in, um, in the USA. Uh, so they... Uh, rather stole the thunder of my colleagues in Edinburgh. But I, uh, throughout the whole story, followed this this with great interest. Um, so the, the, the story starts with rather different strands. So uh, the Yucatan Peninsula, which is where this Chicxulub crater is, and it's, it's not obvious on the surface. It's kind of buried uh, deep underground. Um, the discovery was made in stages. Uh, because uh, the first hint that there was a big crater there came from geophysicists who were actually doing airborne searches for petroleum. So it was all about looking at the geomagnetism and gravitational anomalies of the rocks underneath in a search for petroleum. And because that is a commercially sensitive thing, uh, some of these scientists weren't actually allowed to talk about it when it was first uh, identified during the late 1970s and 1980s. But eventually, um, more and more work was done on this, and the realisation came about that what you were seeing uh, on the on the Yucatan Peninsula is this uh, enormous uh, circle of shocked rocks. It's 180 kilometres uh, in diameter, um, and that 
the, the fact that it's a circular uh, uh, formation, geological formation, actually points very strongly towards uh, the impact of an asteroid. So there were various samples taken and the, the, the kind of smoking guns of, of things like shocked quartz uh, and the fact that there's a gravity anomaly there, they were analyzed. The rocks were analyzed um, from the impact area and it came out with a, with a value for the age of the impact of 66 million years with a fairly reasonable degree of accuracy. Um, then fast forward, or, or not fast forward so much as uh, scan uh, sideways to the other kind of geological story, which is that um, in what is called the Cretaceous tertiary boundary, it's a, it's a, 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 a layer in the, uh, in the Earth's crust. Um, you know, when you look at uh, core samples, you, you're going down and down and back in time. Mm. You come to this point where um, uh, after that layer uh, of rock, there are no dinosaurs. Before that layer of rock, there are dinosaurs all over the place. So the fossil record comes to a dead stop at this Cretaceous tertiary boundary. Um, and that, uh, so that was always associated with a mass extinction. And you can, of course, date that too. Uh, and it turns out that these two dates align very, very closely, the date of the crater from the rocks around it and the, and the date of this global uh, extinction event, uh, 66 million years. And it was actually the, the Alvarez duo who produced the smoking gun, which was that there is a, a thin layer of um, what effectively would have been mud uh, in, in this Cretaceous tertiary boundary, which is rich in the element iridium. And iridium is rare on the Earth's crust, but it's very common in meteorites. And so ah. that was what led to the view that, 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 you know, the general consensus, these three things, the, the, uh, the mass extinction, the layer of iridium and the date of the crater, they all kind of converge on our current view that that crater is the result of the impact that wiped out the dinosaurs. Smoking guns all over the place, Fred. Smoking, that's right, yeah. In fact, smoking craters at the time, yeah. you know, the, the event would... Uh, the, the, the figures are just uh, unbelievable. It was 10 billion Hiroshima bombs, the Gosh. strength of the... Uh, and they estimate that the tidal wave thrown up in what was then a relatively shallow sea was about 100 metres high. Uh, I heard, I read one report that said, had the thing hit in the deep ocean, the tidal wave, the tsunami would have been more than four kilometres high. Oh my so word. these are just, you know, the things that we simply cannot conceive. And it would have uh, sent um, shock waves and literal waves around the planet right multiple around times. The yeah, mm. exactly. That's yeah. right. It was it was a big event. And it was an absolute and total extinction from what I understand, but the big megafauna uh, yeah, really, that's really right. suffered. Yeah, they, they suffered. Indeed, they did. Mm. All right. We've got to thank Jim in Sydney for that question uh, on how the uh, dinosaur crater was discovered. It was exploration. It was human greed, Jim. <laughs> it was, Basically. that's right. Yes, indeed. Uh, thank you for your question. We do invite your questions and, um, yeah, uh, send them to us via our Facebook page. You're listening to Space Nuts. What a matchup. And what a team, Mike. Metro PCS and the iPhone SE for $0 on a network that covers 99% of people in the U.S. Oh, impressive. Play with the best. Switch to MetroPCS and get a 32-gig iPhone SE for $0. MetroPCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax and $10 activation fee. Claim based on talk and text. Not valid for active numbers currently on our T-Mobile network or active on MetroPCS in the past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Three, 
Space nuts. Okay, Fred, to finish off, uh, another uh, little bit of information from uh, the audience. This wasn't so much a question. It was something that was sent to us that um, that John from Maitland, my old hometown in New South Wales, by the way, uh, thought would be of interest to us. He said, hey, Andrew, thought you might be interested in this, the latest project from the team that came up with and built the Virgin Galactic vehicle concept. This thing's a little bit different from what Virgin Galactic has uh, been um, working on. This is the Strato launch massive mothership. And I'm looking at a photo of it. It is extraordinary, Fred. Uh, absolutely. In, I mean, in its in its own way, this is as gobsmacking as the Chicxulub crater is. Uh, it is um, a huge aircraft, a very, very unusual design, recently unveiled, um, built by uh, Scaled Composites. This is the company that was founded by Bert Rutan. Uh, they won the X Prize That's right. in, uh, in uh, I think it was 2000 or thereabouts. It was, uh, seven, you know, more than a decade ago. And the, and the X led... Prize was sending a space vehicle that could be retrieved into what is technically space and back twice. Exactly, yeah. with a with a with a human passenger, yeah, uh, or you know, with a human uh, pilot. And the I first person to pilots. do it got three bazillion gazillion dollars or something. Mm. Uh, that's right. Well, it was actually about I think it was ten million. It wasn't it was that much. Quite, well, uh, yeah, it was quite quite modest. It probably cost a lot more than that to do it. Yeah. But that, of course, led to the foundation of uh, Virgin Galactic because uh, Bert Rutan's company was heavily underwritten by um, by Richard Branson. And so, the, just just to recap on that, the the, the way Virgin Galactic works is there's there's a mothership uh, which has four engines it's just like a, a big jet but instead of having one fuselage it's got two uh, separated by enough space to hang the rocket plane under the middle bit and the rocket plane is what takes the fare paying passengers up to the edge of space 100 kilometers away mm. um, so uh, that's a, a structure that uh, has been tested actually many times they've flown the Virgin Galactic mothership and the, and it's uh, and it's you know what I've read is sometimes called a, para, a parasite vessel, uh, the, the the parasite ship which is the rocket plane slung underneath it. Um, we heard from the outset that um, the <clears throat> whilst this is intended purely for space tourism, that Branson and his team were also thinking of using this uh, this setup to launch not rocket planes carrying passengers just up to 100 kilometres, but to launch smaller uh, uh, vehicles that would actually achieve Earth orbit. In other words, you sling a rocket underneath it and um, it has a payload which might be a communication satellite or something, and then away it goes. Um, you take the, the mothership up to, I think their launch height is 16 kilometres, which is kind of getting on for 50,000 feet. It's yeah, a long way up. That's way up there. <clears throat> Uh, you launch the, the rocket and that then carries on and takes a satellite into orbit. So what we're seeing now with the, uh, the, the Strato launch project is that on steroids. So instead of a four engine jet, we now have a six engine jet with a wingspan of more than 100 meters as far as I can make out. It's the biggest, uh, probably the biggest wingspan of any aircraft ever built. These uh, the, the the engines that it uses are Pratt and Whitney turbofans with a huge amount of combined thrust, and this thing will. Uh, the idea is that it will carry payloads in the wing space between its two fuselages, 
and we'll take them up, yes, to the stratosphere and launch them from there. And it has numerous advantages for all kinds of reasons. The, 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 the best one, of course, is that you've got a, effectively a reusable first stage, uh, unlike the SpaceX first stage, which lands back on its tail firing its rocket motors. The, this first stage is actually a jet plane, and so it can be used many, many times. Um, the other thing is that it can carry not just one rocket <clears throat> up to, to, to head off as the second stage up to the up to orbital height. It can carry probably two or three, and it can also fly uh, for great distances around the world. So you can bet your boots that the Pentagon is very, very interested in this because it provides a mobile missile launch system, of course, that um, is unlike uh, almost anything else that you can imagine. You can put this thing anywhere. Uh, <clears throat> I guess that's the, the principle of the missile submarines, which we know circle the globe as well. But this one is rather different because your, your space vehicles uh, uh, need to be only smaller because the first stage is the aircraft itself. I'm talking a lot about something that excites me a lot. I'm more more interested in its applications for space exploration, but I really look forward to seeing this Strato launch mothership in the air. We'll see um, videos soon, I'm sure, uh, and, uh, and and look forward to hearing what it can do. Yeah, I mean, it, they're talking, as you said, massive payloads. Uh, it's got the, uh, it's pushed along by six Pratt and Whitney uh, turbofan engines. That's six. A jumbo yeah. jet only has four of those. Yeah. Uh, so its combined thrust will be 340,500 pounds, which is, um, you know, really pushing it up there. And the thing, like to, to describe it, it just looks like two aeroplanes that have been fused together halfway along their wings. That's really, there's two main, there's two fuselages, one mega wing, uh, two separated tails and tail fins and two... Uh, two cabins and <laughs> and it's it's big i mean you thought the spruce goose was big and it only got <laughs> two feet off the ground or something but um this thing is huge i think they're saying the wingspan's what 385 feet or something it's uh, yeah so it's more than 100 meters it's just right. unbelievable i yeah. mean that's that's yeah. that's a pitching wedge um yeah quite amazing and um yeah i can't wait to see what they do with it i mean just imagine watching that thing take off uh, that's right. Yeah, you probably your heart will be in your mouth. And just one postscript to this, uh, um, Andrew, that, that um, this idea of carrying rockets underneath aircraft is not entirely new because uh, the uh, orbital uh, uh, company, which is one of the, the principal players in terms of space launches, they have um, uh, actually it's uh, it's an L-1011. I can't remember what it is. Uh, it's called Star Stargazer. No, it's not an L-1011. It's a TriStar. Oh, That's yes. what it is. Well, they, look, they look similar. The, mm. Yeah, they do. Um, it's, uh, 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 yeah, and they, they use this, uh, it's called Stargazer, they use it to carry uh, rockets up to, uh, again, a height in the stratosphere to be launched um, with whatever payload is, is uh, required. So th that's a much smaller version, I guess, and perhaps more conventional version of what the Strato launch system is all about. But yeah, it's great stuff and marvellous engineering. Very exciting. We'll, we'll certainly hear more about that uh, down the track. And have to thank uh, Jim in Sydney and John in Maitland for sending in that information and their questions. And uh, I've just messaged them while you've been talking to tell them that <laughs> they'll be able to listen to the answers in episode 56. Which, Very good. Which they've just, which they've just listened to. Oh, boy. I'm, 
<laughs> messing my brain up now. <laughs> yeah. uh, Fred, thank you as always. Uh, it's a great pleasure, Andrew. I enjoy getting my brain messed up talking to you <laughs> as well. Uh, dear, it's like time lapse. And um, we will catch up with you next week. Yeah, it sounds great. Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory, the brains behind Space Nuts. And uh, don't forget to uh, tell your friends about us. Follow us on Facebook. Send us your questions. We love doing that. And um, your favourite podcast distributor carries Space Nuts. There's a whole bunch of them, too long to mention. And don't forget our sister podcast, Space Time with Stuart Gary, on all those same podcast platforms. Until next week, thank you again for listening to Space Nuts. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com. From Audioboom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top-secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.